And so as we look into uh, this future, these next few months, we're starting a new series today, aptly named hashtag 2020 vision. 2020 vision. How corny is that? The year is 2020. Of course, 2020. Who has 2020 vision? Anybody here have 2020 vision? You could be a fighter pilot or a baseball player or many things. Uh, 2020, I'm sure there's many churches that are doing series called 2020 vision, clear vision, and that's what we're going to be talking about for the remainder of 2019 as we kind of move into the Advent season and Christmas, um, 2020 vision. And if you can pull up on the screen, please, our vision statement. Our vision statement um, is still the same, but there are a few key words together with the leadership team I've uh, consulted, and we're just tweaking a few words. And if I could just, um, if I could just have this on the screen, and if we could read this vision statement together, this vision statement. There it is, all together now. Woven exists to be a diverse church community, woven together from and for the greater Houston metro area that is desegregating Sunday and sanctifying Monday to Friday through formational teaching, intentional discipleship, and holistic outreach. Now, you might be saying, what's changed? It's the same. There are a few key words, really, uh, entire reformations were built with little prepositions. And so a few key words that were tweaked, you can see that it says, we are woven together from and for. So we've intentionally put in those words. Woven exists to be a diverse church community, and so disparate Diverse elements, but we're intentionally woven together. Woven together. Many people have remarked, as they asked me about the ministry here, we're called woven because we're woven together. Woven together. Why are we woven together? Just so that we can be this nice multicolored blanket? No. We're woven together for Houston. We're woven together from the different parts of Houston. When we started woven Five years ago, we had people coming from the different four corners of Houston, uh, Sugarland, Cypress, Katy, the Heights, um, Pasadena, downtown. And from these different areas, we were woven together. And we've grown, and now we've kind of found a home here on, a, on the energy corridor. We're woven together for the greater Houston metro area, from the greater Houston metro area. We're desegregating Sunday because we believe in the multi-ethnic church. That's still the same. We believe in sanctifying Monday to Friday. We believe in holistic discipleship that involves all of our lives, not just Sunday. You guys know that, right? That Sunday is not the only holy day of the week. Everything that you do and that you touch is holy. And finally, the only thing that has changed is after that is formational teaching. And the reason for that is because before it was insightful teaching, and I don't want it to seem like, well, Pastor Wayne is insightful, and so he's going to give us insightful stuff or insightfulness or insight. No, 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 that's not the purpose. Formational teaching, 
And the purpose of formational teaching, and I hope anybody who stands in this pulpit will be teaching not just for vanity's sake, not just more intellectual or, in, or insightful stuff, but formational teaching. Why does teaching happen here at Woven? It happens for the purpose of shaping Christian believers. This overlaps with intentional discipleship. Shaping Christian believers so that they can face the real world and live as Christians. So, the vision is largely the same, but there are a few tweaks here and there that really, I think, um, take us to the next level. And in the Sundays to come, I'm going to unpack these words, some of these words, formational. What does it mean to form? Every Sunday I come up here not just to inspire you guys. I hope you know that, guys and gals. Guys, I use guys in a gender-neutral sense. Guys and gals, I hope you know that I'm not here just to inspire you. I have an agenda, and my agenda is to shape how we believe, how we live, to shape Christians, and to shape you from Monday to Friday. And to shape you to cross cultures. So, we'll talk about all these things in the weeks to come. But it's very interesting. Today's talk is going to be about women. It's going to be about women. And I've been praying, um, I've been thinking, I told you a lot about what God is doing here in this city. And there are numerous things that I really want to talk about. But the first, most immediate thing is... I think the key piece, and I don't even know if I'm going to be able to convey this well, because I don't want to come across as kind of this patriarchal thing where, you know, but I'm going to do my best. I'm going to talk along two headings, and you'll see this in your notes. If you look in your notes, the first half of today, I'm going to talk through Luke chapter 1, verse 18 to 20, and I'm going to talk about the silence of men. I've spoken on this passage before, but I want to give it some new life. The silence of men. That's the first half. But secondly, I want to talk about the voice of women. The voice of women. And I'm going to talk in the second half through Luke chapter 1, verse 39 to 45. And I'm going to tell you a very powerful story I heard this week. And it's kind of rated, maybe rated PG-13. I'm going to try to keep it. But this is an important story about the voice of women. But let's start first talking about men. Not because of the priority of men, and that, that's not where I'm coming from. But I want to talk about the need for men to be silent, to be praying. And with that, let's look at Luke chapter 1, verse 18. Luke chapter 1, verse 18 to 20. If we can pull that up on the screen. Family, this is the word of the Lord. Let's read this together. Let's read this together. Zacharias said to the angel, How will I know this for certain? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. This is the word of the Lord. This is God's word, friends. Even in God's word, you can hear the doubt and the confusion of man, of men, man, man as, a, as a gender. Listen to those words. Isn't that so like men? How will I know for certain? How will I know for sure? Now, mind you, that's not just a male quality. It's not. But it oftentimes is. More often, it is. 
the need for control that we men possess, and the need for certainty. The angel just told Zechariah that this is what's going to happen. And he basically gave the angel three reasons, or four, whatever many reasons, why it shouldn't happen. Dudes, dudes, does that not sound like us? God speaks a promise into your life, and you're like, this is why, no, no, this is why, no, it can't, no, I need to know for sure. That's our response. And so what happens? What happens after that? If you look at verse 19, this is what happens. This is what happens. God answers back, or God through an angel. In verse 19, the angel answered and says to Zechariah, In case you didn't notice, I am Gabriel. I'm Gabriel. I stand in God's presence, and I've been sent to speak to you and to bring this good news. So Zechariah, behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you didn't believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Now, I could take the angle in this sermon and do a shame on you, men, kind of thing. That men, oh ye of little faith, and men always don't. No, 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 that's not where I'm going to go today. I'm not going to go there today. I'm going to save that for premarital counseling. <laughs> that's not where I'm going to go today. Actually, where I want to go with this is the focus on male silence that the angel here strikes Zacharias dumb and mute. You're going to be silent. Use the silence. Use the time to pray. When my wife and I have a mild debate, and... She's saying, how does it go? Men are like, what, what is it? Women are like spaghetti, and men are like, what? Waffles, waffles. Have you guys heard that? Right? I'm like, you're talking about this other thing, and I, I'm still in my corner of the waffles trying to figure this thing out. And the whole thing about being silent, I think, the whole thing about being silent is about learning to listen to how the world works. I think it's about learning to see how things interconnect. I think it's about learning to pray. You know, I got to spend the last three days with Anthony Thomas. And we shared life together. We were roommates. And he joined me for the Innovation for Vocation cohort. Let me just tell you about this. I was in, I was in California for... Uh, two weeks, and the last three days of that time, um, I was participating in a project where uh, there was a, a grant from the Lilly Foundation to help some churches to think theologically through some new projects. It was run by um, a man named Scott Cormode. He was kind of, he, he was involved in some consulting Silicon Valley kind of stuff, ideation. Um, but basically, we went through this process. And the reason I asked Anthony um, specifically was because of his enthusiasm with our examines, our noonday examines, and how he was bringing many of his coworkers out. 
And so through this process, we got to learn this step-by-step process of basically being silent and listening. Being silent and listening. And it starts out by discerning step one. Step one, remember? Who are the people entrusted to our care? And when we discern who is entrusted to our care, the second step we discern is what are their longings and losses? And then third, we discern what is the big lie that the people entrusted to our care, what is the big lie that people believe? And fourth, what is the spiritual practice that will reverse that and will be an answer to that? And so we spent a few days, a few days listening Sarah Watt was with us also from Kingdom City, from Ashford. Because this is going to be a project that I think goes beyond just one church. And we learn things as we listen. We learn things about Woven. We learn things about Kingdom City. We learn things about Houston. And I've actually, I'm going to ask, Anthony, can you come on up and maybe share a few words about what you've learned from being silent and listening to the word of the Lord. Is this a good one? All right. Well, if any of you know me, being silent is not my strong suit. So that is something I don't do well. Um, but it's it's been... It's been an interesting uh, way to learn a lot about myself and about other people. Um, And if I can just diverge a little bit here, one of the things that I went up to this trip with is, um, I I mean, I needed this trip. Not only was it super exciting to to talk about uh, the innovation project and go through that, but I I needed this for for me, right, to just kind of unplug and really open up myself and to listen to God, uh, to really you know quiet all the things that were in my head, um, and just really listen to, to God's word. And I got to tell you, it's probably one of the best trips I've had. Very restful, <laughs> very peaceful, and we had just just a great time. Um, so, do you want me to go into kind of my interviews or? Tell us about when you were listening and your empathy, uh, especially the act of empathy. We learned about empathy. What were maybe a few things? Yeah, talk about your interviews and what you learned from those interviews. Um, What I learned about the interviews and stuff was really, I, I didn't quite understand how important it was for other people that I took the time to listen. Um, That was honestly kind of shocking to me is to, to, just understand how grateful that they were for me taking the time, and, and I'm like, it's just just me. Like, there's, you really shouldn't be that excited. You know, it's just, you know, just little old Anthony here, uh, who nonstop talks. But uh, just being able to stop and listen to them, uh, and when you do that, you start to understand, really, kind of some of the deeper things underneath them. That when you start really listening for those longings and losses, right? What is it that they're looking for? Um, you know, what is this big lie? Um, you know, what are the things that they think about? Um, 
and it was amazing working with Scott as we started to document out the longings and losses and kind of what the big lies were and how easily Scott was like, do you see this? And he started pointing out, right, this is their, you're telling me this is their longing and loss and here's the big lie and here's how they relate and it was just like, I felt like my head exploded a couple times a day there. So do, you, do you remember a longing and a loss that we identified? Uh, a big lie? Ours? Yeah, in our context. Oh, man, you're getting my memory now. Uh, the, the longing and losses uh, that we had were um, in relation to wanting to find one's identity, right? It is, am I just my work, right? You know, what, what is my identity and how do I define myself? What does it mean to be in America yeah, at what this is time? It, yeah, what is very it? Very immigrant. Yeah, do I have to, you know, do I have to earn my keep? Right, it was a big one too. Right, so is my identity, and I just have to succeed. I have to, you know, prove that I belong here. Yeah, right. yeah. And there was also a very important idea that we learned, um, not just about empathy, but do you remember the definition that he gave us of empathy? I mean, that was pretty. I'll let you take this me. one. <laughs> so empathy. Empathy is something that it's not just you kind of. Oh, I'm so sorry. Like. Empathy is calling up the emotion within us. And the experience that the other person is talking about, we call up that same thing, that same, uh, as close as we can, that same experience or that same feeling, and then we re-go through that experience with the other person. And this is how we identified longings and losses. Yeah, it was, it was a great experience. Yeah. It was, really was wonderful. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. And, you know, I think in the um, weeks and months to come, we look, we look forward to seeing um, the fruits of this project. And I think it's, it's impact, not just at Woven, in Kingdom City, and really, I think, even beyond. If I can just say one more thing. One of the takeaways that I really got, um, and I had heard this before, but I think I went up there with the intention of listening and listening to God. Um, we, we had talked about the... Um, we often find scarcity in God's abundance. And it was like it was the first time I'd heard it. And I'd heard that before, and it really kind of was impactful of how we look at God's abundance daily as scarcity, right? And really all we need to do is, is realize that, that he gives us what we need each and every day. Yeah. And that was really powerful for me. And thank you. And you know, so Anthony, want to, yeah, 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 yeah have, a, yeah, have a seat, have a seat. Anthony, I think, really spoke about um, the, I think, one of the real pains that, it's not just men, men and women, but I think I hear this a lot from men in this city. What am I if I'm not my job? Right? And that's everybody, male or female. What am I? if I'm not my job? What am I if I'm in limbo as a student in America? Who am I? And there's deep questions there. There's pain. There's pain. And I think what Anthony shared with us at the end there, abundance, even in what we think is scarcity, in other words, God meets us every single day in our need. 
and that we don't have to worry or find our identity in what we do. It's almost like we try to prove our existence by our work. But God is the one that clothes, that gives bread. I'm learning this lesson myself. I can tell you, gang, even for me, myself, I'm, I'm busy. I'm like a busy bee. I'm running around and I'm trying to make things happen. I've had 20 meetings, it seems like, when I was in Fuller, when I was in Pasadena, talking with about work that can happen here. When at the end of the day, I'm reminded, I too am reminded, you know, you don't make your own bread. You don't make your own bread. But what can you expect? I'm a dude. The silence of men, the silence of men, and how men, many times, we try to craft, we try to control, we try to, we try to know for certain. But in the midst of this story, and here's where I'm going to change gears and talk in the second half about the, the voice of woman. In the midst of this story, we juxtapose, or this, Luke juxtaposes Zacharias, who is silent, with Mary and Elizabeth and the voice of women. Listen to this as we get into the second half. Luke chapter 1, verse 39. Listen to the word of the Lord. At this time, Mary arose, and she went in a hurry to the hill country, to a city of Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, Hello, I'm here. When her voice projected, when Mary's voice projected and Elizabeth heard, it was like life happened in her womb. Now, mind you, the baby was in there already. I'm not saying, like, you know, she spoke and the baby came. But there's something, I think, powerful about the voice of woman. The voice of woman have a way of making the baby leap in the womb. And not only that, it says Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And I find it so ironic that day after day, Sunday after Sunday, it's my voice that you're hearing. And yet the Scripture speaks about how the Holy Spirit falls with the voice of woman. Now listen to me. As I've studied, and, and I've done a lot of studying lately, and I'm thinking about, you know, and the church and movements of Christianity... Frequently, the church and the rise of the, of the church all throughout the world, it was started with woman and the voice of woman. And I'm not sure what to do with that, friends, because I'm a dude. And you're going to hear me teach and preach. But by the close of this service, I'm not sure how this is going to look. I want the woman to be empowered. I mean, do you see what I'm saying? That when we talk about 2020 vision, right? 2020 vision, this is what we're going to do. This is the game. This is the game. Everybody, surround together. Hut, you know, everybody put your hand in and this is what we're going to do, you know. I mean, how typical. And yet we hear not just the beginning of the Jesus story with the voice of women, but even at the end of the Jesus story, who are the ones that are the first evangelists? He's alive. He's alive. 
Was it the guys that were gathered around saying, we're going to build a church and we're going to kind of establish these constitutional guidelines and these are the bylaws and we're going to build the, the brick and mortar building and this is going to be... It was not the planning and the schemes of men. It was the voice of women. And friends, all throughout Christian history, this was the case. And again, I'm struck with the irony that I'm the talking head here, and yet the explosion of empathy that needs to happen at Woven, I think needs to be led by the women. Maybe I should just sit down, right? Shall I? And have, have Tracy, you want to come up and preach? I mean, I'm serious about this. I'm not even in the spotlight anymore. As a leader, I've been a leader now in this city for 10 years. I know what my capacities are. I know what my weaknesses are. I'm working on those weaknesses. So don't think that Wayne is getting lazy and he just wants to do the fun stuff. Right? You go to work and you just want to do the fun stuff and you don't want to... No, no, no. I'm learning in those capacities. I'm growing. Everybody has blind spots. Everybody has weaknesses. There's nobody who's a five-tool player. Those other capacities are developing, but here's the thing. The need for empathy in our community, I believe, needs to be activated by women. The voice of women needs to be amplified in this church. And I've led this church five years, if I consider the larger community that I've been here in Houston, ten years as a pastor. Friends, I, I'm, I'm ready to share that spotlight. The voice of women is powerful and important. It calls into life. It makes the baby leap in the womb. It is the first to herald the resurrection of Jesus. But here is the tremendous irony, and I want to conclude with this. The tremendous irony is the voice of woman is not heard. Why is the voice of woman not heard? Woman, why? What do you think? The voice of woman oftentimes is not heard because of men. And the early church and the movements in Christian history, as it started with women, eventually the men came in and said, we need to, all, we need to, we need to bring in some of our uh, waffle thinking. We need to bring in whatever male qualities we bring in, and then basically it was taken over. I want to share a story that I heard this week that struck me, and I want to conclude with this. Now, we have some younger people here. Um, so I'll, I'll keep it. I'll keep it PG, PG thirteen, PG. Um, we had a guest speaker in my class, and she came in, and uh, she was a she was an English woman, an English woman from uh, Chinese Chinese English, and she came to present to our class about what it was like to be a young. Chinese English woman working in Hollywood under Harvey Weinstein. 
You might have even seen her on TV or in the newspaper recently. She's going through a whirlwind of pain right now, but she could not keep silent anymore. 20 years ago, as an assistant to the uh, notorious Harvey Weinstein, she experienced things that do not bear repeating, but they were horrific. And it wasn't so much just what she experienced in those situations. It was what happened afterwards when she decided that she needed to do something and the, law, the lawyers came in. Now, I'm not vilifying lawyers here. In fact, I spoke with some lawyers in the last few days. I got some insight on this. But under duress, she had no choice but to sign something called a non-disclosure agreement. NDA. She was coerced as somebody who was solitary, who was vulnerable, as somebody who had virtually zero power. Zero power at the hands, so to speak, of somebody who had all the power in the world. He was the CEO or the executive, the most powerful man in Miramax Films. And basically, he came in with powerful lawyers, and under coercion, she signed a non-disclosure agreement that she would not tell anybody what had happened, and they paid her off. And for 20 years, this is what bugs me, for 20 years, she couldn't tell her husband. Her husband didn't know. She couldn't tell her pastor. So her church didn't know. She couldn't tell her small group. She couldn't tell a therapist or a counselor. She could tell nobody. Because if she told a single soul, either she would be sued or pursued by a former Israeli spy or something like that. She was terrified. And after 20 years, silenced, silenced by that culture, as the accusations began to come out, she realized she needed to add her voice. Friends, there are two types of women in the Bible. There's a Proverbs 31 woman who never speaks, but works hard, who does everything right, makes her husband happy. I will include in that Mary. There's Mary, the blessed Mary, who says, be it unto me, as thou will, you know, thy will be done. Beautiful, good. It's qualities that we all should admire and emulate, not just women, men as well. Submission, yes, yeah, submission. But friends, I want you to understand that the Bible is also full of women who speak up, even against non-disclosure agreements, even at the risk of their own livelihood. There are women, there are Esthers, who for such a time as this, they say, I don't think I can keep silent because the harm that will, be, that will come will be greater than the benefit. There are Ruths and Naomi's who instead of saying, well, Lord, I'm just passive. Let thy will be done. I'm not going to do anything. No, they say we have to do something. We have to work. Yes, 
Yes, there is this place where we trust God to take care of us. But yes, you have to put some things into play. Yes, you have to move. Yes, you got to make something out of this situation. You cannot just lay down and die. There are women here who are silent and passive, and there are women here, and I call them the Esthers, the Ruths, and the Rowena Chews. The woman who say, the time for safety is gone, and now I must come out of the cage, and I must use the voice that God has given me, even at great personal peril, and Rowena Chu is currently being sued by Harvey Weinstein. But she's convicted as a Christian. She's a Christian woman, a Chinese-English Christian woman who was working in, Hong, working in Hollywood. Woven's not going to get anywhere unless the women rise up. That's what I'm trying to say. That's it. That's the point of this message. Woven needs an explosion of empathy. And I know I'm not the most empathetic person. Woman, we need you. We need you. Let's close our eyes. I'm going to invite the worship team up. I'm going to ask the ladies to stand, and I'm going to sit, lest this, you know, the optics of this is like, you know, a man is, is going to empower women. Oftentimes it's more so the other way around. And I'm just going to read Luke chapter 1, verse 39 to 44. And I, I want the ladies just, just do, do something, pray something. Speak something. But find your voice. Find your voice here. Now at this time, Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country, to a city of Judah, and entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice. And she said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. <laughs> 